Good morning and welcome to the River of Life Sunday Morning Podcast. If you're local to Wakulla County, we'd love to see you and worship with you in person. Our Sunday morning services begin at 9 and 11 o'clock. May God bless you and we hope you enjoy the sermon. Let's, let's just make up our minds right now. We have come into the house of the Lord. We're here. Let's have church. Let's just make up our minds that we're going to have church. Good. Okay. I grew up real Pentecostal, so feel free to just shout at me every once in a while when you get a, get the urge. There you go. All right. So the question, I, I, being alert to what's going on around us, there's a lot of things going on. How can the church respond to the gospel and still engage with the craziness that's going on in the culture around us? We're in the world, but not of the world. What in the world? I mean, do you find yourself asking that sometimes? What in the world? What in the world? I, I can remember when I was a kid, uh, we were leaving my grandmother's house. She passed away a long time ago. I was a little kid. I don't even know why I remember this memory, but we were leaving and I don't even know what the conversations were. Um, but uh, we were driving down the road and my parents were talking in the front seat and, uh, and uh, the, the conversation had been with my grandmother. No, things are actually getting worse. Things are getting worse. Now, this is 30-something years ago. Things are getting worse. And that was the whole conversation after lunch. Things are getting worse. Uh, and so my mom was asking my dad, do you think things are actually getting worse or is she just getting old? He's like, no, she's getting old and they're getting worse. <laughs> and so I, I, it's, it's always, we've been on this trajectory. We've been on this path. If you go back to just about any period in time, you will find where people are looking around and they're saying, well, things are getting worse. Everything keeps pointing to the imminent return of Jesus Christ. And, and, and the fact is, uh, the, I, I can't provide a scale for you of, of good versus bad or, or how good is it or how bad is it. But I can tell you one thing, that we are in motion towards the return of Jesus Christ. That, that is what, if you want to kind of summarize what's going on around us, is we're getting to a place where, where the return of Christ is going to come and, and take care of the things around us. But we are here now and we need to be engaged in our world. It it just so happens that we are living in the most phenomenal of times when engaging with the world is the thing that's not allowed. What a phenomenal time. I mean, I don't want to say it's any worse than it's ever been because then I would just be getting old, right? I'm just getting, or it's actually getting worse. The, the point is that we are in this phenomenal age where things are actually preventing us from being as engaged with the world around us as the gospel has asked us to be. So there's got to be a better way. There has to be a way forward because there's nothing in this Bible that says, well, if the, if it comes down to it, just disengage, back up, order all your groceries on Amazon and stay home. I mean, that, that just doesn't sound like a testimony. Somehow we've got to figure out a way to get out into the lost and dying world and stay in the conversation because the church is the vehicle that God will use to bring the right kind of change to the world around us. Now I want to tell you something. There's two ways that that, that Christians and even churches respond and, and they get off in the ditch 
too far one way or the other. One is that they just condemn the culture. They look out at all the crazy things going on around us and they retreat from the world and then they refuse to associate with, with sinful people because they feel like if they do, then somehow they're endorsing sinful behavior. And these folks just condemn the culture and they get upset because lost people are acting like lost people. Uh, and then the problem is that when you do that, then you lose all of your influence in the very group of people that you're supposed to be impacting for the kingdom of God in the first place. So we can't, we can't just condemn culture all out and, 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 and create a, a Christian subculture that just doesn't interact with what's going on around us. The other ditch on the other side is completely conforming to culture. Whenever biblically accurate preaching comes into conflict with culture, then that teaching is, is put away. And oftentimes with the same zeal that, that uh, a good evangelist would have. Anything that would get in the way of somebody uh, coming to their event or coming to their church or coming to, uh, to participate, all of those things are put away. The cross is, is put behind a veil so that it's, it's not offensive to people. And so that's the other ditch that people get into is they conform to the culture. The problem is, though, when the church loses its gospel distinctiveness, it loses its prophetic voice. It has no voice. So those are two extremes. We, we, we've we got to find some way forward that doesn't mean get off in the ditch of condemning the culture or get off in the ditch of conforming to the culture. What would God have us do? Well, I'll take us today to Luke chapter 7, verse 36 through 50. This is a, a, a passage you've heard before. It's probably been preached plenty of times, but uh, today I want to use it to illuminate what it is that God wants to do. Luke chapter 7, verse 36 through 50, it says this, One of the Pharisees, and we know later in the passage, this guy's name is Simon. One of the Pharisees asked him, Jesus, to eat with him. He's going to have a party. And he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at table. Verse 37, And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner... When she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment, and standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears, and wiped them with the hair of her head, and kissed his feet, and anointed them with the ointment. Now we're going to go on in just a moment, but, but let's set some context here. Simon the Pharisee invites Jesus to his house. Simon would be considered a righteous man by the standards of society. He's a Pharisee. Dinner parties would be open for, for everybody to see in this day. And it would be in a setting where the guests would be reclining at a long table. And they'd be uh, kind of lying down with their feet behind them, facing each other at the table. And Simon the Pharisee, even though he was uh, well-regarded, certainly knew the protocol of the day, He's very rude, according to our passage right here. There is, uh, uh, in this time, when someone comes to the door, that you greet them with a kiss at the door. Not a big sloppy, you know, wet kiss. You have to move his mask, I'm sure. Uh, that was a joke. <laughs> but, but at least a greeting. 
of a kiss. No kiss. No washing of the feet. Everybody out in that day is traveling down dusty dirt roads. They, they would have uh, come in. Everybody would have been in the same situation with, with dirty traveler's feet. And, and none of that is going on. It's not offered, not even a bowl to do it yourself. So, so none of that has happened. And, and finally, there's no oil. People who are traveling, they usually uh, come in and somebody will put some oil on their forehead or anoint their head. Uh, no oil, no anointing, no nothing. So, so Simon, for whatever reason, has left all of that out. Now, when the Pharisee, Simon, who had invited him, saw this, He said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. He would have known who. The connotation here is is something that's pulled out of the dirt, sort of, what rock did this woman come from out from under? I mean, who is she? You know, he, he would know that. He would, he would have this understanding. This is not the kind of woman that he should be uh, associated with. If he was a prophet and he's challenging Jesus in his mind, if he were a prophet, he would know what kind of woman this is. And the, the Bible, depending on what version you have, calls her a sinner a woman of the city, an immoral woman. These are all really nice, polite ways of saying she's a prostitute. What we do know is that she was not an invited guest. But she came anyway. And she came and she began to pour out love on Jesus and she wept. The Bible tells us that she came and she stood behind Jesus. Remember, they're reclining at a table. So Jesus is facing the table and the other guests. She comes and she stands behind him. That's why her feet, uh, I I had always kind of visualized before I really studied this, uh, that, that somehow she's before him and his feet are down there. She's weeping and washing his feet. His feet are behind him as he reclines on the floor. She is weeping onto his feet and then she is stooping to wipe his feet and wipe those tears away. She kissed his feet. She wiped his feet. She put expensive perfume on his feet. And this is a scandalous scene. Remember, we're told that she is immoral. Why would she be doing such a thing? If Jesus knew what kind of woman this was, he would not allow her to touch him. She is a sinner. And so now that we've kind of discovered what's going on in Simon the Pharisee's heart, we need to remind ourselves that it's possible to know something by your heart and not know it in your heart. It's possible to know something up here and it's possible to not know it here. He has kind of a head knowledge that's passing by his heart, but he doesn't know it in his heart. Verse 40, and Jesus answering... Jesus is answering. It was an unspoken question, but Jesus is answering, said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, say it, teacher. Verse 41, a certain money lender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. So two guys go to Vegas. One bar is 500. Okay, something like that. Just two guys, $500 versus $50. And when they couldn't pay, he canceled the debt of both of them. Now, which of them will love him more? 
43, Simon answered the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. Now, I want you to pay attention to what happens here because it says Jesus then turning towards the woman continues speaking to Simon. Jesus turns toward the woman and he says to Simon, did you see, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much, but he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, who is this? who even forgives sins. And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. We're going to talk for just a few moments. And I want to be positive. That's kind of my reputation. Uh, The smiling, positive, optimistic preacher. But I'm here to give you some warning signs today. Amen. I'm going to give you some warning signs of what happens in a person's life when they are missing these marks that Jesus is trying to teach us today. So be listening. Be listening. I hope it's not you. I hope you are doing great on each of these four points. But but we all need a reminder. Amen. Four warning signs. First warning sign. Number one, you become angry at other people's sins more than your own. Simon says, who and what sort of woman has come in here? What kind of dirt is this? Who's come in here? Who is this? Simon saw an object. If you wonder what objectification is by definition, this is it. It's when you look at a person and you see nothing but matter. Atoms, cells in the body, but you don't see the heart and soul of a person. He objectified her and he saw a project. His motivation is compliance, not the gospel, not grace. And I'm going to tell you something out of just straight transparency. In the last few years, I've had to rediscover the gospel as the correct motivation for everything in my life. I wish I could say that all of my life, it's been 100% since the, since the time I got saved. I know that this word, this, this, is, this is what was going on when I was in the fourth grade and I got saved and and, and, and the words of God, I, I was, I, I gave my life to Christ. Uh, there's a little fourth grade blonde headed boy. But since then, I, I can't say that it's all of my motivation has come straight from this word. Now, maybe it's just me. So pray for your weaker brother. Okay. But, but I'm going to tell you, we have to rediscover that this, this is our roadmap for life. And so, so we need to rediscover that. And if you've been transformed by the gospel, the primary display is not with other people's sins, but the way that you view your own sin. And and furthermore, if you've been transformed by the gospel, it, it, it it will illuminate so much in your own life that you'll be, you'll have to either change or run away from it. But it will torture you. 
First Timothy 1.15, Paul tells Timothy, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of who I am chief. Not the person that he was or used to be, but that he continued to be. It's in the present tense. I am the chief of the sinners. So there's this continuous need for us to rediscover who we are and whose we are. The gospel will create that humility in us and it will also create a confidence in us. We're humbled because Christ died for us and we're confident because we have access to the throne of God. Amen. Number two, warning number two, your worship has become real casual. Real casual. You see this woman, she's humble and sacrificial and, and, and teachable. And her emotions are tied to her reality. She's weeping. She's not even seeing Jesus' face. She's come up behind him and she's weeping in his presence. And, and for us, we live in a time where there are few sacred spaces, and I, I think that's right. I, uh, uh, we don't we don't have the the temple concept uh, of the Old Testament. We don't we don't have places that are particularly because they are that place that there's something uh, unique about that. Not in the same way that the Old Testament did, but because of that, we can become real casual with how we approach our worship, and, 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 and maybe we don't take it seriously enough. I'll be glad to, to preach to myself first, if that helps everybody. Maybe Rocky doesn't take that seriously enough sometimes. You know what you should do, Rocky? You should just put all your inhibitions about worshiping over here on the side, and you should come in here and just give it all one good time. That's what you should do, Rocky. I'll start with me. Maybe I should just come in and, and instead of worrying about what's going on in the world around me, just come in here and worry about giving God the praise and the honor and the glory and the power that is due his name. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Let's give that up to Jesus one good time. He is holy. Now, this is a great church to worship in. So this is not a, I'm not thumping anybody with this word. I'm just saying these are the things the church and, and us as individuals need to watch out for. Number three, if you're slow to repent, it's a warning sign. Warning sign number three, slow to repent. This woman, by the way, is the picture of repentance. I mean, she's, she's right up there with the prodigal son, okay? I mean, she's, look at what's going on. And, and repentance, we know this, when it's when my heart changes and then my behavior changes. And, and Simon is trying to show us two categories of people here, the holy and the unholy. And Simon's judgment, he's judged one thing correctly, but the other is he thinks in his heart, Simon is saying, well, there's some holy people and there's some unholy people. Me, I'm holy. You two folks, unholy. You're, you're here and you are receiving a prostitute in a, in, a, in a posture of worship, and then you are forgiving of sins. So Simon is, is missing the mark on several levels, and repentance is definitely one of them. 
Let me tell you something. What you do when you sin says a lot about how well you understand the gospel. What you do when you sin says a lot about how well you understand the gospel. Where do you go? Who do you trust? To whom do you confess? I mean, it's just, that's just that simple. What do you do when you sin? Do you go to God? We have to be people of repentance. We have to be people of quick repentance. We have to be people who are convicted of sin. We have to be people that when we miss the mark that we understand it's time to run back into the arms of, of God. I, I feel like I've said this so many times before, but if you ever get distant from God, hear these words ringing in your ears. You can never get so far away from God that you can't come back home. And it happens. Christians drift. Christians get off track. Things happen to us. I'm not advocating a life so that we can bring you home and celebrate. We want to live holy, godly lives before the Lord. But when you sin, what are you going to do? Let's get a plan. Let's be people of repentance that when, when something comes in our lives and we go the wrong way, that we're people of repentance who come back to the Lord. Number four, warning sign number four. You aren't loving your neighbor more. 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 Another way to put this is, is your activities aren't leading you to love your neighbor more. Here's the reality. You can, you can come to a church service and come back to a church service next week and come to more church. So you can come to 52 weeks of church services and Bible study, Bible study, Bible study, Bible study, Bible study. And you could come to, you could watch services online. You could even watch other services online. You could, you can join some other places remotely and, and, and study and, and do all these fun Christian activities. But if you're not loving your neighbor more tomorrow than you love your neighbor today, something is wrong. You've got to love more. We have to love more. That is the name of the mission that Jesus has in this parable teaching for us. Jesus is saying to Simon, you loved little, she loved much. And she's been forgiven of much. And the more that we're forgiven and the more we're drawn into the, the, the story of the gospel and it, as it fans out across the world, we are being forgiven more and more. We are being, uh, uh, being wrapped up into the love of God more and more. We should be loving more and more those around us, our neighbors, the people we see, the people we encounter, which brings me back to kind of where we are in this day and time. We're not meeting any new people. We're not getting out and having activities or drawing people in or festivals or concerts or places we can go and, and, and interact with the people of the world. And the, the, I, I'll, I'll just, I'll tell on myself, but I, it, it probably, and I would, I'll include myself in this, for any person in this room, it would be difficult to find three people in our phone context, lost people who don't know the Lord, that we could call and say, hey, how about we go get some coffee? It would be difficult for me right now. 
Why? Because I've lived in the Christian world. And the reality is, is there's a whole world full of truly lost people. The, the book of Isaiah tells us about, uh, about Jesus. The people who walk in darkness have seen a great light. He, he didn't come for the well. He came for the sick. That is the work of the gospel. And somebody needs to see all this, the, the glorious change in our lives. And it's the people of the world around us. Praise God. Praise God, because he's taught us in our passage of scripture today that we can have compassion, that we can love our neighbor, that we can show the world around us that we are loving and living a Christian life, that we are deeply in love with Jesus Christ and we want to know them. We want to know their story. We want to know where they're at. We want to help them find forgiveness. We want more people to come to know Jesus and to be forgiven and to be eternally secure with him. People don't want to be a project, by the way. Sometimes that happens. You know, we, we did that when we were teenagers. Knock on doors. We have a little card in our hand. Hey, we're here to ask you some questions on a survey. And we start writing down their name and all this stuff. And then we'd ask them, do you go to a church anywhere? Do you, you know, and they're, after a while, they're rolling their eyes. And they're like, is this some kind of a trick? You know, if you want to invite me to church, just go ahead and invite me to church. I know it's a difficult time. I know communication is, is not what it used to be. But somehow, church, we've got to break through all those things. And we've got to go to where people are at. And we've got to love them to life. Amen? We've got to love the, the world around us. Two quick points, and I'll, I'll close. I, I guess what it boils down to is two things. Number one, a gospel-centered compassion. Compassion for the world around us. Verse 39 says, Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. Holiness to Simon the Pharisee was measured by your distance from sin. If I could just stay away, stay away, stay away, back up, back up, sin, sin, sin. If I can stay away from all of that, I'm good. That was his way as a Pharisee. But listen, church, association with sinners is not an endorsement of sinful behavior. Or I'd have to quit associating with probably half my family. I mean, that, that would just be, they're not listening on TV. So you, that's, you don't know which half you're on. So I'm just going to tell you. The second thing that I think we're called to here is a gospel-centered conviction. Compassion on one side, conviction on the other side. Jesus does not downplay the sin of this woman. He doesn't brush it to the side. He says her sins are many. She got mega sin. She's sinful. Uh, Can you imagine? You're in the Bible. What happened? Well, Jesus acknowledged the fact that I'm eat up with sin. Praise God. But she loved Jesus a lot. And and John 14, it says, you know, and I'm not going to get this right. um, If you keep my commandments... He it is who loves me. You show you love me by keeping my commandments. A gospel response. Jesus says 
I'm God. You're forgiven. Go, uh, I give you new life. That's this that simple. So, so he doesn't brush that away. The, the response of Jesus shows us we can have compassion and conviction. We can have grace and we can have truth. I don't know if that speaks to you a whole lot. I, there was a youth pastor back when I was a youth pastor here. He was another, he was in the county somewhere else, but um, he carried a spoon in his, in his car because uh, he spanked his children. Praise God. Not too hard, but you know, get them back on the right track. And on one side of that, uh, uh, <laughs> one side of the spoon said mercy and it had a little smiley face on it, you know. The other side of the spoon said judgment and had a little frowny face on it. And so, <laughs> so depending on which one came up, is either mercy or judgment. And uh, th- that's how you knew what was coming next. But let me tell you something, and, and you've probably heard this quote before, but truth without grace is brutality. And grace without truth is sentimentality. And compromising either for the sake of, 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 uh, of the other makes us less like Jesus. Compromising conviction for more grace Compromising grace for more truth. Going back and forth between those things. Compromising either is unloving. When we fail to tell people the truth about the gospel. The whole truth about about how it teaches us to behave. How to love God. When we fail to teach people, tell people the whole truth. Then we show that we do not love well. And when we live in nothing but truth and when we weaponize the truth of the gospel to harm people, to show no grace at all, then we are showing brutality and we also show that we lack love. So there's something, there's work for us to do, church. So Here's how it all closes out in verse 47. I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much, but he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Note that order. Your sins are forgiven. Go in peace. Jesus says it. Forgiveness precedes love. Her sins have been forgiven, so she shows great love and generosity. Now she shows that love, and she's been forgiven. And and, and it's a delicate but important thing to understand that Jesus has done something for me, and now it can flow out of me. Will you bow your heads with me for just a moment? John Newton was a uh, preacher in England many years ago. And he and William Wilberforce were the ones that, and William Wilberforce is the one that was really on him to abolish slavery, and it spread throughout Europe, the abolitionist movement of, of Europe, and then it came to the United States. And uh, uh, so, so a lot happened between those two guys because John Newton actually started out as a, 
a, a brutal slave owner, but, uh, but it became a, 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 a catalyst for that change coming. Great preacher. And when he reached the end of his life, he said this, and it's, it's, it's not really only important because it's so poignant and so germane to what we're talking about. He said, although my memory is fading, I remember two things very clearly. Although my memory is fading, I remember two things very clearly. I am a great sinner, and Christ is a great Savior. Father, we come to you tonight, and we just say thank you that you have stoked a fire inside of us with this the story of this woman's faithfulness to worship you in the midst of her sinful life. She came, and she found forgiveness at your feet and with her tears. And she, she has demonstrated to us uh, an important lesson in showing, in showing truth and grace. May we be found faithful and discerning how to balance those two things. And may we not be found in the ditch one or the other, too much grace, too much truth, or, or, or misusing grace or truth. Father, may we be found faithful in showing a lost and dying world that that we love them with your love and that we want to see them in heaven forever with you. Father, as we go from this place tonight, I just pray, uh, first a prayer of gratitude that you love us so much that you'd allow us to worship and to, to have fellowship together, but I also pray that you will Do whatever it is that you do to destroy the virus that keeps us from having uh, the fullness of everything that you want for the world around us. God, I think it's completely in order for us to ask for you to to heal the sick who are are struggling with this virus and for you just to eliminate it by your power. Be glorified in that. Be glorified in that. Find your glory in that in the, in the uh, destruction of that virus. But if you don't, then teach us, God, how to love our neighbor even more every day. How, God? Teach us. Teach us. Teach us by your Holy Spirit. Strategize within us the way that we're going to reach those around us because that's the cry of your heart. May it be the cry of ours. In Jesus' mighty name, amen.